Satan is given many names in Scripture, and each tells us something about the way that he operates in the world. Jesus said Satan was a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus also said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. The Gospel of Matthew reveals that Satan is a tempter who had the audacity to try and tempt Jesus himself. The book of Revelation calls Satan the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God both day and night. These titles for Satan give us some ideas about the ways that he attacks and oppresses the people of God. Satan has always been at his work and he's been at it a long time and he knows many effective ways to attack and to oppress. And one of the ways that all the titles I've mentioned today come together in satanic oppression is through condemnation. Now keep in mind, Satan does not necessarily need us, need to lead us into great acts of wickedness to win. His greatest desire is to keep us from Christ and to keep us from faithfully serving Christ. If he can do that, then he'll put a check in the win column no matter how he gets us to do it. If he can do that through leading us into great sin, then so be it. That's a win. If he can be, if he can get us to do that through discouragement or condemnation, then that is also a win. In his mind, a wind is a win, regardless of how he gets it. Condemnation is a powerful tool in the hands of the one who is called the accuser of the brethren. And part of the reason that Satan can use condemnation so effectively against us is that he is a liar who convinces us that condemnation from him is really conviction from the Lord. When Satan convinces us that condemnation is conviction, it's almost overwhelming and we tend to give up because it seems that even God thinks we are no good. We must understand the difference between condemnation and from conviction. And and in trying to discern the difference between the two, there are two questions that we can ask ourselves. Number one, is it general guilt or specific conviction? Is it general guilt or specific conviction? Right, there is a, one of the ways that we can understand the difference between conviction and condemnation is that condemnation, it just makes us feel bad while conviction leads us to do something. Right, so when God convicts us of sin, which He does, God's conviction is one, it's also, it is always very specific. Right? When God convicts us of sin, He convicts us of something specific. Here is an attitude that's not right. Here is an action that you're not doing. Here is something in your life that is not as it should be. Right? Here's what you're doing wrong, and here's what I want you to do right. God's speaking to us, and God's dealing with us is always specific, always very specific to the issue. Condemnation, on the other hand, is just a general feeling of worthlessness. Just a general feeling of I'm not good enough. Just a general feeling that says I'm no good at this Christian thing. I Obviously, I can never do it. Obviously, I'll never be able to. With condemnation, Satan is trying to press us down and leave us where we are. With conviction, God is always trying to lift us up and take us out of where we are. Condemnation wants us to stay the same. Condemned, feeling no good, and not doing anything for Christ. Conviction always wants us to change. Here is something that's not right. Here is how you fix it. Make this change. Do not stay that way any longer. So, when we feel condemned, is it a general guilt? Or is it a very specific uh, conviction? Secondly, 
Is it a vain regret? With conviction, there's always something we can do about what God is dealing with us about. Right? When God begins to deal with us, there is always a change we can make. There is always something we can do. Satan's condemnation is often a vain regret. It is a, a feeling that something that is done in the past that we can do nothing about is holding us back. Right? For example, can anyone feel my pain with this? thing I said five years ago was very stupid. Anyone else lay awake at night thinking things like that? Now, that's kind of a humorous take on it, but it's the same idea. Those things we said, can we go back and unsay them? Of course not. Those things in our past, we have blown it. We have messed up. Can we go back and fix them? Can we go back and not make those mistakes? Of course not. So God doesn't deal with us about things we can't change. God doesn't make us feel bad over stuff that can't be undone. That's Satan. That is condemnation. Conviction, again, is always very specific. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Always very specifically deals with something in our lives. And then he shows us what we can do to change it, to make a difference. There is always an urging to make a change. And there is always something we can do to make a change. If all it is, is a general feeling of guilt and worthlessness, of nothing specific we can do to make a difference about it. That is satanic condemnation and not conviction from the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, if it is something specific, this is wrong and you need to do this instead, we can be sure that is conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, what I know about condemnation is... Chances are we've all experienced it. Chances are we have all felt condemnation at times in our lives. The reason we feel it is because we've done things wrong in our past, haven't we? We all have things in our past that we're ashamed of. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have done things we should not have done. And Satan knows how to take those and how to press on those and to make us feel worthless because of those. There are some this morning, and you would love to have a closer relationship with Jesus than you have, but because of condemnation, you feel unable to do so. You feel that God would not want to be your friend, that you could never experience the closeness of God that you've heard others talk about. There are some, and you would love to be more faithful in serving the Lord, but condemnation makes you wonder, who am I? That I could talk to anybody about Jesus. I have done so much wrong and have made so many mistakes. There's no way I would be such a hypocrite if I did. Now, if that's you, how do you overcome that? How do we get past that? We have to realize that our our standing before God is really never about what we do. It's always about what Christ has done. So we overcome condemnation. We fight the oppression of condemnation by resting in the gospel. Resting in the gospel frees me from the oppression of condemnation. Resting in the gospel frees me from the condemnation. The oppression of condemnation. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you give you three truths about the gospel. And these three truths, if you, if you embrace them, 
If you take them deep into your heart, they will free you from the oppression of condemnation. Number one, Jesus has freed me from condemnation. Jesus has freed me from condemnation. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you have a pew Bible, that is on page 862. Romans 8, and look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is such a great verse, such a great passage, such a powerful truth. A part of what makes this such a powerful truth is what has come before it. In the verses before it, Paul has made some statements. Look up at Romans 7 and verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will or what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now look at verse 19. For the good that I will or that I want to do, I do not. But the evil that I will or or want not to do, that I practice. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Let me ask you, can you you just relate to how Paul feels in this? I mean, are are there times in your life When the good that you want to do, you don't do. But the evil that you hate, you you do anyway. You you delight in the law of God. You know that God's word is true and you know that God's way is best. But for some reason, you still give in and you do the wrong things. And after it, you say, oh, wretched man that I am. What is, why do I do this? I hope it's not just me that can relate to this. This was Paul's testimony. And what is fantastic about this is that Paul finishes that by saying, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who will deliver us? Christ Jesus will. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we deal with a struggle in this life. In this life, the struggle Paul talks about in the, in the previous chapter is the struggle we live with. Paul wrote about it in Galatians, so it's not just in one place. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You know the struggle? Do you feel it in your life at times? You, you want to do what God wants you to do, but there's something else pulling you to do something different? You know that struggle. And it's real. And it's in all of us. And there will never be a time in this life where we fully overcome it. The struggle will always be there. We will always fight this battle. Sometimes, thankfully, we will win. We will overcome. 
We will make good choices. We will do right things. But the reality is given to us in Scripture is that we will not always make the right choice. Sometimes we will lose that struggle and we will not do the things that we ought to do and we will do the things we know we shouldn't do. And in that moment, Satan comes to condemn us. How do we fight against the condemnation when we know we've sinned? How do we fight against the condemnation when we know we have blown it? We hold on to the truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the the no condemnation part is not just for those who always make good choices. It's not just for those who always do what they're supposed to do. Because otherwise, what we would be is we would live our lives. I made a good choice today. I'm no condemnation. I'm free from condemnation. Today I sinned. Suddenly I'm condemned all over again. What a miserable life that is. That is not the life of the gospel. The life of the gospel is you are free from condemnation in Jesus Christ when you choose to do well and when you choose to do wrong. You are free from condemnation through your faith in Christ when you fight the battle and win and when you fight the battle and lose. Your standing with God, my standing with God, it's never based upon our goodness. It's never based upon our obedience. We are never at any point in our lives righteous because of us. Now, that is encouraging and that is convicting. It's encouraging because I fail at times. And I can take heart in knowing my failure does not suddenly cast me outside of the kingdom of God. My failure does not suddenly cause me to be condemned. It, it, it helps me to understand that I'm not walking a tightrope over hell with God waiting on me to, to make one misstep so He can cast me in the lake of fire forever. That's encouraging to know. But it's convicting too, because I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a prideful person. I like to think about all the things I've done and all the ways I've been good in all the ways I've chosen correctly. And yet none of that ultimately is what makes me righteous in God's eyes. My righteousness, your righteousness, always is based upon Jesus Christ and what he has done. Let me show you this. Just a great passage. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus. Let me just stop there. Him is God. And here's what Paul's saying. It was, it's because of God that we're even saved to begin with. Right, this refers to God's provenient grace that drew us to Christ initially. I mean, do you realize that there was never a point in your life where you were sitting there and you said, you know what? I think I need Jesus. I'm going to get up and go get saved. It wasn't your idea. It was God working in you. God first drew you. He, He made contact with you. On our own, we would live separated from God. On our own, we would hide from God. But God comes seeking us as He did in the garden. Where are you? And then He makes contact with our heart. And He makes us to realize we need Jesus. And then He starts to draw us 
and woo us and pull us to Christ. And here's here's all that we do in the process. We cooperate with God. We don't go in our own strength. We don't go in our own ideas. We just say, yes, God, I'll go with you. And when we say, yes, God, I'll go with you. We believe in Jesus. And at that point, Jesus becomes for us our righteousness. That is our initial right standing with God. That initial moment when we cry out to the Lord and we go from being condemned to being uncondemned. To being a, from being an unbeliever to a believer. From being unrighteous to being righteous. Jesus at that point becomes our righteousness. But the righteousness of Christ doesn't end in that initial moment. He also has become our sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we become more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is the process that God works in our life to free us from the the, the slavery to sin. To make sin less appealing and Christ more appealing. And even that is largely based on Jesus and His work in our lives. And then He has become our redemption. And redemption there refers to that day when we stand before Christ in heaven and we hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. On that day, our acceptance to God in heaven is based on Jesus. We will not get to heaven and say, We did it, God, me and you. You kind of got me going, but I picked up the slack and I got us here. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God, you kept me, you saved me, and you brought me here. And I am here today because of Christ and His righteousness, not because of me and my righteousness. Getting a hold of that is so powerful. Because... Then we can trust what Paul says in Romans 8.1. Because notice, when there is no condemnation for us, there is therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Right now at this moment, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. But I've blown it last week. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. In Christ Jesus. But I struggle with my sinful nature. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. In Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He is your salvation. And when you make it to heaven it will be because of Jesus. And that is a gospel truth. That will free you from the oppression of condemnation. Secondly. Jesus is always on my side. Jesus is always on my side. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2, page 941, if you have a pew Bible. First John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Let's just stop there. What is the part of the purpose of John's writing and really all of Scripture? So that we would not sin. I mean, that's 
God's desire is that we would be holy as he is holy, that we would choose to do the right things and make the right decisions. And a part of the idea with what John is saying here is that for the child of God, there is the ability to not sin. We, we can not sin. Now, we don't have time to, to establish that a lot. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you'll see that over and over and over again. But here's what I want you to notice. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. There's the standard. But John lives in the same world we live in. And John knows the struggle we just got through talking about. And so John says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate has several meanings. In the original Greek, it meant a someone who came alongside to help someone. It referred to a commander who really just kind of rallied the troops to keep them going. Another word that used is probably the intended meaning meant of someone who speaks on behalf of another, sort of like a defense lawyer. And the idea is that Jesus is our advocate. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. Now, why can Jesus speak to the Father on our behalf? It's because Jesus Christ is righteous. See, Jesus has, has done what we cannot do. He lived a perfect life. He was born in a sinless state, and he followed that up by really never violating God's law. He didn't violate the letter of the law. He didn't violate the spirit of the law. He, he was righteous in his nature, and he was righteous in all of his actions. And because Jesus Christ alone is righteous. He is able to speak to God on our behalf. He, he pleads our case as it was. Now, as Jesus begins to plead our case to God, what, what does he plead? What, what does he state when we sin? Well, let me say some things he doesn't say. Jesus does not plead the reputation of the believer. Right? He's not concerned with what others think about us. That's not what he says. He doesn't plead our good works. Well, look at all they've done, Father. Look at, look at all the, the times they went to church and the tithes they gave and the, the things they did. He doesn't plead any of that. He doesn't plead that the believer is not guilty committing the sin. He's not that kind of lawyer. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't lie. We did commit the sin. He doesn't plead that the believer is pretty good overall. I mean, it's just a small thing in comparison. Overall, though, if you look at the large scheme of things, he doesn't do that. He doesn't plead the personal righteousness of the believer. He doesn't say, look at how good Stacy is. So what does he plead? Jesus pleads his righteousness that has been given to us. That's what he pleads. Jesus, as he pleads to the Father, he says, yes, they've sinned. And yes, it was real. And yes, it was bad. But, but they have received my Righteousness. Now, a key thing I want you to see from this is when Jesus becomes our advocate. Is Jesus our advocate when we do what we're supposed to do only? Is Jesus our advocate when we mostly do what we're supposed to do? No. Look at what he says. My little children... These things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. So our sin, our sin is serious. Make no mistake about that. Our sin hurts our relationship with Christ and it hurts our relationship with the Father. Make, make no mistake. And it is possible that we will reap what we sow, that there will be consequences for our sin. I'm not minimizing the danger, the deadliness, the problem of sin. What I want you to see is that for no matter what, forever and ever, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is always, always on your side. Any time you sin, Jesus has not suddenly stopped cheering for you. He has not suddenly stopped and, and is not on your side anymore. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the propitiation for your sins, is your advocate with the Father. Always. Forever. So that is a powerful truth to get a hold of because Satan does not want you to believe that. Satan wants you to think you have blown it so badly that Jesus is done with you. And Jesus is over here saying, no, that's not the case. I am always on your side. I am always your advocate with the Father. Yes, you blew it, but I'm still on your side. See, getting a hold of that truth, and that's a powerful thought. And that is a piece of the gospel that will free you from the oppression of condemnation. Satan cannot condemn you if you know Jesus is on your side. And then finally, Jesus, always forgive me. Satan's condemnation, it kind of works in a particular way. Here's what I've experienced. Tell me if that sounds familiar to you. A temptation arises. Satan says, it's no big deal. I mean, it's a small thing, really. Surely God wouldn't care about something that piddly. I mean, it's not as bad as, you know, what Scott does. You know, it's not like it's a big sin. It's just a little thing. Surely it'll be okay. Look how good it looks. Don't think about the effects to your family. Don't think about the effects to your, your marriage. Don't think about how it'll impact your relationship with Christ. Focus right now on how much fun, how good it will feel to do this particular thing. Think about here. Think about now. Don't think about anything beyond that. And when you're convinced, you, you take the bite. You take the hook. Instantly, as soon as the pleasure's gone, Satan says, Really? I can't believe you would do something like that. You say you're a Christian. Golly. You're, you really don't care about Christ, do you? I mean, you don't love people if you would say things like that, right? I mean, you're... You're an awful human being, not just an awful Christian. What a horrible person you are. What a worthless Christian you are. And, and of course, we've, what have we done? We have just sinned. And so we're like, you're right. I kind of stink at this whole following Jesus thing. And if we stay in that spot, we're separated from Christ. Our, our relationship with Him is going to be hindered forever. So what do we do? 
In that moment when Satan has flipped the script and is pressing down on us because we have indeed failed. We do what John says in 1 John 1 and 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Satan does not want you to confess your sin. He wants you to stay in that sin. He wants you to stay beat down. But Jesus says to you, confess it, forsake it. I will always forgive you. Now, I do want to say something about confession. Confessing our sin is more than just saying, this is what I did. Confession, a part of confession is we say the same thing. Right? So, if I confess my sin, I have to say the same thing about my sin that God says about my sin. And that's a, that's a huge thing. Now, as parents, we've seen non-confessing confessions, right? Probably as teachers too. You catch the kid doing something and you say, why, Caitlin, did you hit your sister? Did you hit your sister? Because she said she did. You said she did. I, I did, but she took the remote. And so I punched her in the nose to get it back. That actually happened once. Right? Yeah, she's confessing, but is she accepting any responsibility for it? It's not like I hit her that hard. And, and I wouldn't have done it if she hadn't have taken the remote from me. Right? I did it, but it wasn't my fault and it wasn't that bad anyway. Let's just be honest. How many times do we confess like that to God? Yes, I, I was hateful to my wife, but God, you know how Kelly is. Right? Yeah, you know, I was I was short and rude to the waitress, but you saw how late my food was, God, and it was cold on top of that. Okay, I was judgmental, but did you really see how they were acting? See, that's not confessing. When we confess, we have to say the same thing God says about our sin. Here's what God says. God says my sin is always my fault. Right, at no point is my sin anyone else's fault. It doesn't matter what you do to me. How I react is between me and God. I can never blame anyone else for any sin I commit, ever. So to confess my sin, I have to say, God, it is all my fault. At the same time, God says my sin is serious. God never minimizes the sin of a believer, even though Jesus Christ is their advocate. God says all sin is bad. All sin is problematic. All sin is serious. So if I'm confessing my sin, I must say, God, my sin was bad. It was, it was as bad as anyone else's. It doesn't matter what anyone else has done. I can't say it wasn't bad compared to them. No, God, my sin was huge. Terrible. And then, I must understand that my sin is always against God. See, God is the one who has set the standards in place. And so, any time that I do something that goes against God's standards, I'm going against the standard giver. And I have to say, God, I have sinned against you. That is a part of what confession is. And if we do not do those things, we are not genuinely confessing our sin. And there is no promise associated with that sort of confession. 
But if I say the same thing about my sin, God says, what I will find is that God is faithful to do just what he said he will do. And what he has said he will do is he will always forgive me. Let me show you one of my favorite passages that shows us in the Old Testament. Turn with me quickly to Psalm 81, page 451, if you have a pew Bible. Psalm 81, I think we're going to start reading in verse 6. Verse 6 and 7, God reminds the people what he had done for them. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. God reminded them about his salvation, his deliverance out of Egypt that he had done for them. All that he had ever promised to do. Now God explains to them in verses 8 his desire for them here. Oh, my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. Here's God's desire. Be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Right? God says, here's what I want. Just be devoted to me. Not, not to these false gods that didn't deliver you because I delivered you. Not to these false gods that can't do anything for you. I will bless you. If you'll just trust me and be faithful to me, I will give you all you need and all you want. But notice their response. But my people would not heed my voice. And Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk according to their counsels. Now, I'll be honest with you. Verse 12 ought to be a scary verse. I think some of the best things God has ever done in our lives has not let us do all the things we wanted to do. Not given us over to fulfill our passions in all the ways that we wanted to. But in this case, God was calling to them and they were saying, no, no, I don't want to. I don't I don't want to do what you're saying, God. I like these other gods. I want to do these other things. No, no, thank you. So God just says, "Okay, have at it. See how that works out for you. Let's see how that goes. As time goes on, they begin to suffer because of their sin. Because you always reap what you sow. And as they were suffering for their sin, they still were not calling out to the Lord. And you know, if God was like me, God would say, well, you know what? This is what you wanted. Enjoy. Call out to your other gods. Let's see if they can deliver you in this time. But God's not like me. And here's what God says. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. Here they are walking in rebellion, suffering for their sins, and, and God's desires that they would turn to Him. And what would happen if they did? I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to Him and their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. And what God is saying is, if you'll turn to me, I'll do all that I said I would do. I will forgive you. I will provide you. I will do it. And what would keep them from experiencing all that God wanted them to have? Their unwillingness to confess their sins and turn back to the Lord. And that's what it is with us as well. See, when we, as believers, when we sin, we have a choice. We can persist in our unforgiveness. We can persist in our sin and we can reap all the good benefits that come from living in rebellion against God. 
Or we can turn back to God and we can confess our sin. And we'll find that He will do just as He has said He will do. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To restore us to a relationship with Him. And you know, the hard thing about realizing this is that this morning, each and every one of us, we are as close to God as we want to be. You know what, if you're not in a close relationship with God right now because of sin, it's not God that's keeping you away. It's you. You're choosing to persist in your rebellion. You're choosing not to turn back to God and confess your sin. Because if you did, He has promised He would forgive you. And He would restore you. And He would cleanse you. And God always does what He says He will do. And so this morning, if you are far from God because of your sin, you have a choice to make. Will you persist in your rebellion or will you confess your sin to God? A great gospel thought that will help against condemnation is knowing that Jesus will always forgive me. But that forgiveness is conditional. It is conditioned upon our confessing our sin. So if you are far from God today, What choice are you going to make in your life? Are you going to stay where you are and let Satan condemn you and push you further and further away from God? Or are you going to turn back to God, confess your sin, and see the great gospel truth that frees you from condemnation, that Jesus will always forgive you? Let's stand as our musicians come.